Now, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. You know, we live in a picture-driven society. Symbols, pictures, little metaphors that can be, can be easily explained. In fact, this past week we had an all-day staff meeting, and one of the things we're wrestling with is how do we take engage with God, connect with others, and live on mission, and have have it expressed in a in a symbol or in a picture? Why? Because that's I mean we're we're in the Instagram age, right? What's funny though is that saying things with pictures and word pictures is is not new. It's Man, it's been around as long as people have been around. And there's one word picture, one metaphor that the Bible uses that I just absolutely love. And it is the picture that God is the one who is the fountain of living water. That he is the source of life. You know, so we all understand thirst, right? We all understand what it is to be outside and you get hot and thirsty and what that cold glass of water does and how it refreshes. And we even know probably better today how important it is for our whole bodies to have, not just for that, the initial quenching of our thirst, but for everything to work right. Uh, the psalmist puts it like this, they drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to the drink of the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. This idea that everything that your soul needs is found in God. Everything that your soul craves, that in God it can be satisfied. So this year was we're reading through the Bible, and I, I picked a really unique plan. Now, keep it nice. Uh, it's not been my favorite plan of reading through the Bible, but we're there. We're moving ahead. We have been in the book of Jeremiah. And if you remember, Jeremiah was the last prophet to Judah about the coming captivity of Babylon. In fact, he, I mean, it had been prophesied for hundreds of years, but now Jeremiah is the last prophet. He's there. He's actually in Jerusalem when Babylonians are, are actually besieging the city and then conquer it and take it away. And, and Jeremiah records this picture of God in Jeremiah chapter 2. And again, it goes back to this. God says, my people have committed two evils. They have one, forsaken me, and two, the fountain of living waters, and two, they've hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, you've got to understand a little bit of Israel. If you've ever been there, and by the way, we're going in March, would love to have you go. It is a lot like Arizona. It is rocky. It is hard digging. And they don't necessarily get a lot of rain. In fact, right now, Israel's in like in a 90-year drought. And so collecting water is really important. And you know, a cistern is basically just something's going to gather water. And so what they would do without, you know, the modern day tools, they would just take this, whatever shovels and picks that they have, and they would begin to try to dig into the ground, into the rock, 
a, a bowl that would catch water. And then they would have to chisel into the rock leading to it, channels so that when it rained, it would, the water would hit the channels and would roll towards the cistern. Now the problem is, is that the cisterns being rock would often have cracks and so the water would leak out. So then they would take clay and they would kind of try to you know, give it a little bit of a lining so that the water could, could roll in it. Honking lot of work, right? Well, here's the other thing. What do you imagine happens as the water rolls in and sets in that clay for a week or two or a month or two? Yeah, doesn't sound all that great, does it? And then here's the thing. The water would go down. The clay would now be exposed to, to the heat. It would often crack. And so now you go and there's no water because there's a crack in the clay. And that's God's point. He says, you, you've walked away from me. I am the fountain of living waters. Have you, ever, have you ever seen a little spring that's just bubbling up from the ground? And that water is so crisp and it's, it's so sweet and it's, you know, depending where you are, it's often cold. And, and it's, I'm that fountain of living waters, everything your soul wants. And yet you've ignored me and you've gone over here and you've done all this hard work to hew out for yourself cisterns. You've, you've gone through all that work and all that effort, but they're cisterns that are broken. They'll never hold water. It will never satisfy your soul. That's the background of John chapter four. John chapter four is Jesus and this woman at the well. So let's pick it up in verse three. He left Judea and went away again into Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. Now you remember the Samaritans, the Samaritans were in the area where the northern tribes were that were conquered not by Babylon, but by Assyria. And the Assyrian king took them into captivity, brought other people in. So they intermarried with some of the Jews that were left. So the Samaritans were kind of considered half breeds, so to speak. They, they were pretty much despised by the Jews. So he came, verse 5, to the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus next to the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan? Now, John gives us a little commentary. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, well, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. For the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Now the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. She's, so he said to her, go call your husband and come here. 
The woman answered and said, well, I have no husband. And Jesus said, yeah, you've answered correctly. I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. Thus you have said truly. So, folks, here's the idea. The reality is everyone is thirsty. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Is when you look back at creation, God made us in his image. We're, we all were created to be the image bearers of God. We were created to know him and then to reflect him to each other. So we were to know him hor- uh, vertically, to re- reflect him horizontally. Man sinned. Our relationship with God was broken. Our identity now was lost. Because now we don't have that relationship with God. We don't sit here as his image bearers. And so what we were actually created for, what was stamped upon our soul to do, we don't do. And that creates a incredible thirst. So without God in our life, we're out of alignment with what we were created to do and created to be. And so therefore, there is this thirst that is there that can't be satisfied. In fact, I think it was Pascal who said that within every human, there is a God-shaped vacuum that nothing created can ever fill. Because it was aligned with we were to be the image bearers of our God, and now we have a broken relationship with him. And that's what creates thirst. So now, life becomes that quest to find something, someone, that will quench that thirst. And for this woman, it was a man. And she found him five times. Look, he'll make me happy. Look, he'll satisfy. No, not him. All right, look, there's that guy. He'll make me happy. In fact, he's on to number six. And oh, by the way, it's not just her. It's, it's the men too. She'll make me happy. She'll make me fulfilled. I love in premarital counseling. Why do you want to marry? Oh, he just makes me so happy. I'm thinking, yeah, three years from now, you're not going to be singing that tune, sister. For some people, it's not relationships. For some people, it's like success. You know, especially for men, because we, we tend to put so much of our identity now, because again, it's not aligned with God. And so our identity is in what we can achieve. And so now it becomes success. And if I can just make that next promotion, if I can just get this next job, if I can just do this, and yet we get there and it doesn't satisfy. So we're on to the next thing and the next bigger goal. You know, for some people, it's stuff. If I can just have that nicer car, if I can just have the bigger house then I'll be happy and you get the bigger house and you're happy for a day then you got to pay the mortgage payment all of a sudden the happiness is gone and that's what life becomes it, it, it's digging out cisterns it's all this hard work trying to catch what will satisfy our soul and none of it will satisfy our soul it just won't because there's a thirst that is within us. And this thirst is ultimately spiritual in nature. It's not physical. 
What we're missing is not stuff. What we're missing is not money. What we're missing is not relationship. What we're missing is this relationship with God. And we just naturally relate things that happen in our life. When, when there's a, a sense within us, we just think it's physical. And so that's how we try to solve it. You know, for instance, you, you go through the grief process. We've been processing, you know, my dad's death. And there's just this, there's something soul that's not right. And, you know, what, what's been interesting, I've been kind of watching. I mean, for me, it's, it's about food. I've eaten some things in the last two months I haven't eaten in a year and a half. And you know what? It feels really good when I'm eating it. Now, later, when I'm, like, bloated, I feel like, ah, it doesn't feel so hot. But, man, in the moment, and we're trying to satisfy something that's going on in the soul with something that's physical. And that's why people run from one relationship. Have you ever met that person that can't ever be out of a relationship? You know, they're in this terrible one. They finally get out. You're just going, oh, great. And next thing you know, they're jumping into another bad one. You're going, what are you doing? What they're doing is they're trying to satisfy a thirst on the physical level of things. They're spiritual in nature. See, it's the spiritual side that is so important here. I think last night I shared this, and I don't think I've ever shared this with the church. I've shared it individually a couple times, but it's, it's probably a little deep to my soul, so we'll be transparent here. But you all know my story. Uh, my story is some 30 years ago, my, my first wife passed away in childbirth. In fact, that's what got me to Phoenix. And that's what got me here with Tammy. And if you all don't know, Tammy, next to my salvation, is the greatest gift and show of God's faithfulness to me that I know in my life. And she not only loved me, she loved my son. And we got married and life is good. And then we, we got pregnant. And what was interesting is my first wife's pregnancy was perfect. I mean, she wasn't, she didn't get morning sickness. Tammy's pregnancy with JJ was horrendous. Uh, she, she, in fact, the last, and if you know Tammy, she's, she's just a doer. And the last four months of her pregnancy, she was home on bed rest. She had too much ambionic fluid. Right, so we'd just gone through this horrendous process of, uh, of getting you know, him as far along as we, he could. I think, what did we get to? About 32 weeks, something like that. And then he was born, and, and that part went great. And she's doing great, and he's doing great. And I'm hanging at the hospital. And finally, Steve, you need to get home. And so I got home about 11 o'clock at night. Now, I've already shared with you that I have no artistic eye. I don't. I, I don't care about that stuff. Uh, it's just not in me. I'm the function person. But that night I walked into our bedroom, and I had this really weird thought of, I've never liked the way my bedroom has been laid out. I'm going to redecorate. And for those of you who are a little more mature, you remember back in the you know, early 90s, the furniture then was like huge and big. It wasn't like streamlined and more contemporary that we tend to go with today. And so these big pieces, and I'm, it's 5.30 in the morning. 
I'm dog tired, I'm moving furniture around when finally I thought, Steve, what's going on here? And I sat down and I began to think about it. And then the light bulb came on. I didn't really care about the room being redecorated. By the way, I was gonna have to explain that to her. Um, but you know what? With Pam, it was every time I went home and I went to bed, I got a phone call and something went wrong. So with Pam, I would taken her to the hospital. She wasn't feeling good. They said, okay, we'll stabilize. Everything's good. You go home and get some sleep. Tomorrow we'll induce. And I got a call about 4 o'clock in the morning. Hey, she's already gone into labor. So I got there. Then that's when everything went bad. And then that afternoon, things were getting better. She was in intensive care. Finally, by that night, 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night, they said, listen, uh, this is going to go on for a few days, but she's really doing good. You need to go home and get some sleep. I went home. I got into bed. I got the phone call. Something's happened. You need to get here. We're life lighting her to Cleveland. It dawned on me. I couldn't care less what my bedroom looked like. I just didn't want to go sleep because I didn't want to get the phone call. And see, folks, we, we deal with everything physically, but the problem is spiritually. There's an emptiness there. And what, what Jesus is trying to say is you've got to watch over your soul. I love this verse out of Proverbs 4. Watch over your soul with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. It's something on the inside. There's a thirst there. And most people have no idea. They're, they're looking for it in all the wrong places. They're looking to satisfy this thing in a person. They're looking to satisfy it in stuff. They're looking to satisfy it in status. And it just never, ever is enough to satisfy it. And they're on to the next thing. And their next thing. And their life is spinning out of control. And what Jesus is saying to this woman is, listen, you got a thirst here. And you're looking for it in all the wrong places. You've been through five guys. You're working on number six. Guess what? He isn't going to satisfy the Caesar. I'm the one that can satisfy it. Jesus is alone is the one that can quench the thirst. And, and, and I love this idea that that's the whole reason Jesus came. The whole reason Jesus came was to take care of the problem that you and I have. We were made to be image bearers of our God, right? We were made to reflect him, to know him. So Jesus came, died, paid for our sin, took the penalty away, rose from the dead, so that now we can have this relationship. Now we can be made into the image of Christ. He came to restore all that. And now through that, that thirst in our heart can be... Did you see verse 14 here? But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him. Now notice he uses the word give. It's a free gift. It's not you that buy from me or that you earn from me, but that I will give him. He'll never thirst. For that water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. What Jesus is talking about here, when you come and you accept me as your Savior, I'll quench that thirst. And it's not just a thirst for the day. It's tomorrow's thirst and the next day's thirst. And that day when you're getting called into eternity, that thirst. Because I'm going to put inside of you my Holy Spirit. And he's going to continue to be with you. And to give you whatever your soul and your spirit needs. You're going to find it because you're going to know me. And you're going to 
walk with me and you are going to fulfill the thing that I created you to do. I'm going to take care of that thirst. So my friend, my question to you today is this. Have you come to Jesus as that source of, of water in your life? Or are you out there trying to, working so hard, digging and, and going against the, the rock with your pickaxe, trying to dig this cistern? It's never going to hold the water that you need. The best you're going to get out of it, muddy water. It's never going to satisfy. Jesus will satisfy your soul.